0: Before we begin, I wanted to talk a little bit about the current state of my nation. I would say our nation, but I know I have a lot of listeners from around the world. I stand with the protesters. Without the right to protest and to fight for what we believe is right for our people, we wouldn't have civil rights. Women wouldn't be able to vote. Black people wouldn't have the ability to vote. We'd still have slavery. In fact, if you want to go back far enough, our whole country was founded by a group of people who realized they didn't want to live under this tyrannical reign of another nation. We fought back against a large government. And we won. We didn't do it just being quiet and writing letters to the editor or saying, "'Please, sir, I would like some freedom.' I've seen the term anti-American being thrown around about the protesters. The only thing that is anti-American is telling people that they don't have the right in this country of ours to speak their minds and assemble on an issue that is killing them. That's the only anti-American thing. I suggest you seek out your own education when it comes to this country and the way it has been treating its own people I suggest that you seek out your own education when it comes to the current protests going on. There's a lot that the media has not been showing. I watched a live news feed from my own city of Los Angeles where the anchors themselves were talking about how peaceful the protesters have been and how amazingly peaceful it has all all been overall. But the helicopter camera was only following the looters. The camera was only showing the few instances of people who had nothing to do with the protesters destroying the city, while the anchors themselves were trying to explain that the protesters were being peaceful. So I suggest you do a little more digging than just paying attention to what's on the news. You all come to this podcast for escape, and I understand that, and I apologize for not having an episode last week, but... When Thursday came around, it just didn't feel right to put out something, I don't know, it just felt wrong. I felt wrong promoting myself or my podcast or anything like that when so many bigger things were going on and so many things that just are just much more important than my silly little horror podcast. I've had a few people reach out and ask if I'm okay. I deactivated my Facebook account for many reasons. I'm sure many of you can understand, but don't worry, I'll be back. Um, I'm not going to guarantee when or anything, as I love that community. I've been over on Twitter, just being angry like everyone else. So, yeah, that's but that's basically why I I just felt like there are so many bigger things going on than me, and I just felt wrong releasing a show last Thursday. But I'm here today to provide you all with the escape that I know you love, and I appreciate that. I feel the love. I felt so much love from you all since I kind of disappeared off the face of the earth for a week. I didn't really disappear. Like I said, I've been over on Twitter, and I've been doing things around Los Angeles, and I just haven't been as active with the show itself. But I'm back, and I wanted to provide you with this escape again. And I wish I could think of another word other than escape, but my brain's a little bit mushy right now. I don't really know what else to say in these times. Um, I've been retweeting a lot of people who are much smarter than I am and much better educated, who can put their feelings about everything into words much more eloquently than I can. So you can check that out if you so choose. I'm not telling you to go follow me on Twitter. It's up to you. It's whatever. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. But I do suggest you seek out further education when it comes to current affairs and our own nation's history and even your own nations. Um, I have a friend in Canada. She really exists, I promise. <laughs> who, is curr- who currently just went out and bought a bunch of books on Canadian history and how it isn't as, you know, squeaky clean as we thought it was. And I'm not talking your 8th grade history book because that is just so whitewashed and sparkly clean compared to what actually happened throughout all of history. Seriously, go find some outside historical references and books. And not to mention that our forefathers were many of them were slave owners and their ideals aren't exactly what I believe we should be looking towards for, um, our current moral compass in a lot of ways. Anyway, I, again, I've been on my soapbox for a while. This is not why you come here. I just couldn't stay quiet. I just had to say something. I'm, I don't believe that I just said anything very monumental or anything, but, you know, silence is violence, so here is the show. Our first story of tonight is by Jonathan Robbins Leon, and it's called Vice Grip. I'd been dating Bill about six months and had been faithful the whole time, a personal best. But lately, I was getting bored and could sense that it would only be a matter of time before I'd ruin things. I recorded every little thing he did in a mental notebook of grievances, and I ramped up my exercising lately, wanting to get fit again, just in case. Neither of us had work to do that weekend, and we had no plans to distract us from one another's company. He asked me if I'd come with him to the grocery store, but I made some excuse about needing to clean the apartment. The minute his car was out of the driveway, I downloaded a hookup app and created a profile. Just exploring options, I promised myself, seeing what was out there. Using a face picture was out of the question, since any of our acquaintances might recognize me and report back to Bill, so I took a shirtless selfie, shoulders down, and used this for bait. I won't say the messages flooded in, it was more of a slow trickle. The app allowed you to bark at someone, a passive way of saying they were cute. If they barked back, you could message. Most of the guys that barked at me were too old or not my type at all. Still, it was fun getting that kind of attention for the first time in months. I wasn't really taking any of it very seriously and was ready to delete the profile when Vice Grip barked. Like me, his picture was headless, but his torso was impressive covered in black and gray tattoos that turned his strong body into a work of art. I didn't have long before Bill would be home, but I couldn't stop myself from barking back, and we started chatting. He mentioned that I wasn't too far away, and I asked how he knew. Vice Grip pointed out the distance tracker in the top corner of a person's profile, He was two thousand five hundred and four feet away. He messaged. Want to meet? I told him I couldn't just now, and he asked what I was into. When I asked what he meant, he clarified. Do you like getting choked? Instantly, I regretted having downloaded this app. I was pretty vanilla, so the question really put me off. I checked the clock, Bill had been gone 45 minutes. With the drive to the grocery store and back, I had maybe half an hour before Bill got home. I started tidying the apartment, not bothering to answer Vice Grip's question. Washing and folding laundry was not my favorite thing, but Bill and I had an unspoken agreement that I would do all the clothes, as long as I never had to clean the bathroom. Our building was old, so nobody had washer and dryer hookups in their apartment. Doing laundry meant schlepping your basket of clothes to the basement and hoping one of the machines weren't in use. Thank goodness the elevator was in working order today. Otherwise, I'd have to drag our clothes down three flights of stairs. I popped in a load and rode back upstairs to wash dishes and maybe take a quick shower. My phone, however kept ringing with notifications. Opening the app, I saw that Vice Grip had sent a string of messages. Answer me. Location? I want to feel my hands around your throat. On my way. Getting close. My heart stopped when I saw the distance tracker. Vice Grip was 200 feet away. I ran to the window to see if there was anyone walking up to the building, but there wasn't. At least, not on this side. A new message came through. Don't make me come find you. 150 feet away. I was panicking. If I deleted the app, would my profile still be there? Could he still track me if I logged out? I scrolled through the settings to try and figure out how to deactivate my tracker, but it kept asking me to re-enter my password. Either I didn't remember it or I was typing it in wrong, my fingers shaking. How close was he now? I clicked back on his profile. One hundred feet. Jesus! Was he running? There was still no one on the main road that I could see. Where was he coming from? Then, in the left-hand corner of the screen, I spotted a circle with a slash, the block button. <sighs> Pressing this, I confirmed that, yes, I wanted to block this user. And Vicegrip's profile disappeared from the grid. Exhaling with relief, I was just about to delete the app when the door banged open. I screamed, and Bill did the same dropping one of the grocery bags he was carrying. The carton of eggs fell to the floor, shell and goo splattering everywhere. When we caught our breath, Bill laughed about how jumpy I was and asked what I'd been up to. Just laundry, I said. We put away groceries together. Bill had bought the expensive iced coffee that he knew I liked so much, and he showed me the new allergy pill he'd picked up with me in mind. Spring was right around the corner, and I was always stuffy, even without loads of pollen blanketing everything. I felt like a schmuck. While Bill was out at the grocery store, picking up things to please me, here I was, scoping out dudes and narrowly evading creepers. I knew I should delete the app before he saw it and dumped my ass. I told Bill I needed to throw the clothes in the dryer, and I left to ring for the elevator. Once boarded, it was just my luck that it stopped on every floor on the way down. People taking their time getting on and off, and one of them even crowding everyone with a bike. We arrived on the second floor, the garage, where most of the riders wanted to disembark. But Bike Guy got jammed in the door, the whole thing became a production. <sighs> I unlocked my phone and saw new notifications in the hookup app. I needed to delete the damn thing. The elevator dropped a pair of old ladies off on the first floor, leaving just me and one other guy waiting for the doors to close. I opened the app and saw a bark from Gauntlet 86. His profile pic was a chiseled torso covered in tattoos. His location was zero feet away. I looked up just in time to see my elevator companion pressing the button to close the doors, his hands large as frying pans, his arms crawling with gray ink.
1: Calling all true crime fans, murderinos, crime junkies, and wine coven members. Have you listened to Murder in the Rain yet? Murder in the Rain is a true crime podcast based in the Pacific Northwest, focused on the local cases that make us the notorious home of bizarre crimes and serial killers. I'm your host, Alicia Holland. And I'm your host, Emily Rowney. <laughs> I'm Josh. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I was... In each episode, we will cover a case to bring you all the details of the crime. We often feature interviews with people close to the cases, including authors, victims, doctors, and detectives. Most content is dark and not suitable for young or sensitive listeners, but we do try to lighten the mood by providing a blooper reel at the end of every single episode. Trust me, you'll love it. Check us out today, and if you like us, don't forget to subscribe, follow us on social media, and leave us a review. Our website, MurderInTheRain.com, has additional content, podcast feeds, discount codes to some of our sponsors, and an interactive map with locations for each episode.
0: This last story of the evening is from show favorite, Richard Kenway. You know his work from The Hoppers, The Year Christmas Died, and It Lived in the Attic. I'm a huge fan of his writing, and I'm so glad he had something else for me. This is Lost and Found. Ashley lifted the metal fence up for Paula, so she could climb under. She then did the same for him, The ground wasn't as muddy as they first anticipated, but all the same, they were glad they decided to wear boots. Tell me again how you know this place? Paula asked as they walked through the dense forest. Ashley was fumbling around his jacket pocket for one of the rolled-up cigarettes he had made back at the car. Once he found the cigarette, he stuck it in his mouth and searched for the lighter. For a brief moment, he feared he had left it in the car but relieved when his hand found the side of the plastic lighter. He lit the cigarette and took a deep puff of it before removing the cigarette to answer her question. You remember that guy Chris from our history lessons in school. The weird one who used to hang around the library and talk about ghost stories and conspiracy theories, she replied. Ashley nodded as he had another puff of his cigarette before offering it over to Paula. That's him. He told me about this place. You know what's on the far side of the forest, don't you? He answered before she could reply, clearly eager to make the big reveal himself. That town was wiped out in that chemical accident. Chris said he met one of the first responders that went in afterwards. Only a handful of people were allowed, and this guy claims it was no chemical accident. Paula pulled the cigarette from her mouth and handed it back over to Ashley. Then what was it? She asked, with a hint of skepticism. Get this. Man eating grasshoppers. He lifted his hands, pulled a face, and went, Ooh. Paula wasn't impressed. That's the best he could come up with. No UFO, no conspiracy about chemicals in the water. Man-eating grasshoppers. I know, it sounds crazy, right? Chris had apparently looked into it quite a lot. The place we're heading to. Supposedly during the Second World War, they did some crazy experiments out here. Biological weaponry that they could drop onto German cities. Chris said they did it without permission from the government, and when Chocho found out, he went apeshit and demanded that the project be shut down. And this is the place we're going to, is where the experiments took place, I gather? Paula asked. Ashley turned to look at her and smiled. It's all bullshit. It is a World War II bunker, though. Apparently... "'Churchill had several secret mini-bases built "'so we had defensive positions for when the Germans invaded. "'They never did, so the bases were abandoned just after D-Day. "'That's all there is to it.' "'You've been here already, I take it?' "'Paula asked. "'Ashley nodded. "'I have, but today's different. "'Today, I plan to actually go inside.' Paula was going to question this decision, but Ashley passed the half-smoked cigarette back over to her, and she took it without saying a word. The bunker itself was well hidden in the side of a large rock face. Back when it was used, the entrance would have probably been better concealed. Now the entrance was crystal clear, and even though it was only barely open, there was enough room to squeeze through. The entrance disappeared into a long tunnel of darkness that couldn't be seen from the outside. Ashley took out his phone and turned on the flashlight. Paula took hold of his arm. You're not serious about actually going in there, are you? She asked. Why not? Ashley replied as if she had asked a stupid question. Because the place is 70 years old, genius! It could collapse at any moment, and I don't want to be trapped out here. Paula, it's a bunker. These things were designed to take missile attacks. You can't get much safer. (laughs) Quit being a baby and let's go explore. Paula hated it when he called her a baby. She liked to think of herself as a bit of an urban explorer. She was no stranger to old abandoned hospitals and houses, but she seemed to be the only one out of the two of them to take safety into consideration. At least if she were with him, she could stop the idiot from walking into something and hurting himself. Reluctantly, she followed him into the darkness. The structure looked secure enough, with its thick stone walls. The rooms that had been added were made of metal. Perhaps Ashley was right, and it was safer than it appeared. Some of the rooms had the skeletons of what would have been beds for the soldiers posted here. Any equipment they would have had was long gone. Only old and decrepit pieces of useless furniture were left. Paula took out her own phone and put on the torch. She scanned the floor for any trip hazards, something Ashley didn't seem to be concerned with. As she scanned the ground just in front of where Ashley was stepping, her torch hit an object among the debris. She grabbed hold of Ashley's arm to stop him from stepping on it. She bent down and picked it up. It's an old tape recorder, Ashley said. Paula pushed the play button. Nothing happened. It's dead, she said. Let me have a look, he said. He took it from her and examined the back, then popped off the lid to reveal two rusted-looking batteries. He took them out and threw them away. He then handed it back to Paula to hold. He took out his portable Walkman and opened up the back. The batteries were the same size. Paula had given him so much grief over his Walkman in the past. Why don't you get an MP3 player or just use your phone like everyone else? No one uses a Walkman anymore. She would tell him. I do, was his usual response. Today she was pleased he was a bit of a techno-dinosaur. The metal connectors of the tape recorder looked a little rusted too. Yet, as soon as the batteries connected, life began to circulate the device once more. Wanna have a listen? Probably some old shit like ABBA or the Beatles. He looked so excited. Like a teenager who just found his older brother's stash of dirty magazines. He pushed the rewind button until the tape stopped. Then pushed play. There was a little bit of static before it started. The voice on the tape was female. And sounded... American. March... I have to admit, this feels kind of silly. I'm supposed to just talk into this recorder about, well, I suppose, how I feel, or what to expect from the expedition? I've always been fascinated by stories of mysterious events and disappearances. The Lost Colony of Roanoke, the Mary Celeste, the Dyatlov Pass Incident, Well, you can imagine my surprise when my research team were invited to investigate our very own case. During the briefing, we were told very little information about what to expect. We were told what part of the world we were going to, but no specific location was given. We were told that once we were dropped off at our designated location, we were to study the area and make a note of the condition of the area and make a full document of any wildlife we came across. All this seemed... quite strange, until we arrived at the scene. Picture the Grandma's Cottage from Little Red Riding Hood, and you pretty much have our new home for the next several weeks. There aren't enough bedrooms, so some of us are having to shack up together. We set up equipment downstairs and allocated rooms. We figured the first night we'd settle in, then get started first thing tomorrow. March. The room situation has been completely reshuffled due to people snoring. In the end, I opted to sleep on the sofa. It made sense. I'm usually the first one up in the morning anyway. After one more day of relaxing, we decided we had taken advantage of the situation enough and got straight to work. We started with the forest that was just on the outskirts of the cottage we were staying in. It was quite dense, but there was a distinguishable path for us to follow. Even Hansel and Gretel couldn't get lost in this forest. To begin with, there was nothing unusual about it. Every now and then we ventured away from the beaten path and had a close look among the trees. We checked radiation levels and pH of the soil, but there was nothing strange or unusual. Was this some kind of joke? Was someone playing a silly and expensive prank on us? It certainly seems like it. it well, the radio's not working, and we can't seem to get any signal on our phones. I think we found the only place on God's green earth without any kind of satellite or internet or any kind of connection. Our geologist, John, says he can probably get it working again, but would need to take the thing apart to have a decent look. He says it's old, as in World War II old. I say let him. It's not like he can break it anymore. Dean has been working on a map of the area so we can rule out areas we've already checked. It's a good idea, since our power options are rather basic out here. We ventured a little further through the forest and found what looks like a lake. The surrounding tree line has been pretty poorly maintained, but we were able to get to the water's edge um, and get a few samples. A few of the researchers joked about taking our clothes off and jumping in. There's a university degree, well earned. Let's jump into a body of water we know nothing about that could potentially harbor something extremely nasty. Don't get me wrong, I'm all up for having some fun in the sun, as it were, but let's at least get the results back first. Hey, little. The lake seemed harmless. Well, according to the test we ran anyway no radiation, the pH is normal, and there doesn't appear to be any toxins and very little parasites. I still wouldn't recommend we go swimming in it, but at least it won't kill us if we do. I was surprised to see I wasn't the first one up this morning. I found our biologist Nancy sitting out on the cottage's front step with a cup of hot tea in her hands. I took out my coffee to join her. Before I could even mutter the words good morning, she began shaking her head. It's not right, she said. What isn't? I replied. The quiet. I heard no wildlife last night. No owls, no foxes. A forest like this should be teeming with wildlife and yet I've yet to hear a single bird call. I listened for myself. She was right. The only sound we could hear was the occasional wind in the trees, and whatever sounds came from the other researchers. Some more pleasant than others. I listened again during our visit back to the lake. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. April... separated into two teams in the hope that we can cover more ground and get more work done. Team A is run by myself and our biologist Nancy. We will be focusing on the areas we already know about, which is the forest and the lake, analyzing and collecting more samples. Team B is led by our geologist John, who just happens to be a history buff. They will be investigating the areas we've yet to discover, Exploring, basically, which John will be all too happy about, as he sees himself as a modern Indiana Jones. It was just after lunch that he stormed through the door like a force of nature and threw his fist in the air. We've hit the mother load. gather your things, you gotta come see this. He wouldn't disclose what he had discovered, but ensured us we wouldn't be disappointed. We followed John to the lake and made our way around the edge, until we got to an alcove. He took out his torch and went inside. It looked like an old, abandoned mine. As we ventured in, the tunnel got more and more narrow, which gave us a claustrophobic kind of feeling. He pointed his flashlight at something in front of him. At first I thought it was some kind of wooden wall, but on closer inspection, saw it was some kind of barrier. There was a hole where he had kicked his way through the rotten wood to gain access to the other side. He rubbed his hands in glee as he bent down to climb in. We followed him through into a sort of cavern and was amazed at the sight I saw in the light of the flashlights. There must have been at least fifteen skeletons, all with old-style red military uniforms. And they were all clutching muskets. The barrier we climbed through had been reinforced from the inside. I, I didn't know what to say. I just stared in wonder. They must be at least 200 years old, John said. But what were they doing here? I asked. No idea, but they must have been here for a long time. I could only find one with obvious injuries, This one over here has large scratches and chips on his skeleton. If I didn't know any better, I'd say he was attacked by a bear. In this part of the world? I asked. John just shrugged. Maybe. It wouldn't make much sense if that was the case. The other soldiers would have simply shot it. I checked their blades, too. No signs of blood. The only thing I could think of is... The man injured himself and they were waiting for help to show up. The only thing that still doesn't make sense is why the barrier? It's almost like they were trying to keep something out. We collected samples and John took some of the muskets back with us. On the way out, I ran a flashlight over the outside of the barrier. The wood was old and swollen with rot, but I did see something. That looked... It looked remarkably like a large claw mark. John is ecstatic. He managed to get one of the muskets to fire, so... He and Dean have spent several hours firing it. He's having so much fun with it, but we all jump every time they fire the bloody thing. John says he feels like a revolutionary warrior, he's such a child. We have a new theory about how the soldiers died. We think they may have starved to death. I know how silly it sounds, but they were clearly locked away in there for some time. I'm going back to the cave later, and then to the lake. would have been quite comical, given that he was in his stripy boxer shorts. We stood in the lounge and waited, but after an hour of silence, we put it down to some kind of animal and went back to bed. May. We had a day off today so Ranger John could take a break from fighting Indians and focus on fixing the radio. Yesterday, I made the decision as team leader that it was probably time that we called it a day. Apart from the British soldiers in the cave, there's nothing strange here. They need archaeologists here, not us. John can't seem to find anything wrong with the radio. When he put it back together and tried it, all we heard was static. Dean has been going over the map, and he thinks there may be a trail we can take... It may be a several days hike but if we can find our way to a local village we should be able to make contact with our research group and arrange for us to be picked up. Dean insisted on having a look on the other side of the lake and Ranger Rick decided to go with him with his musket. They're going to leave tomorrow and have a look. If we don't leave here soon, our food and water situation is going to become a problem. I'm sure we were never meant to be here for this long. May... It's 9.30 at night and we still haven't heard anything from Dean or John. I'm starting to get very concerned about them. They were only supposed to have a look and then come straight back. I thought they were only going to be a couple hours, but they've been gone all day. They only took a bit of food and water with them Certainly not two days worth. I'm going to stay up and wait for them, but I've told everyone else to get some rest. They were reluctant, but agreed. I've dosed myself up on coffee, and I'm going to make some notes whilst I wait. It's just gone three in the morning, and that horrendous animal shriek we heard a while ago erupted through the forest. The worst part was that it was immediately followed by the distinct sound of John's musket. Was John firing it at something, or was he just firing it to frighten something away? None of us slept for the rest of the night. May. Today we went out to look for John and Dean. The first thing we found was the musket. It was on the other side of the lake beside a patch of long grass. The most worrying part of the find was the blood that seemed to have been sprayed all over the grass like someone's neck has been ripped open. I asked Nancy what kind of animal could have done this and she said without a bite mark or animal tracks or even some animal waste, there was no way to tell. We were sure there were no large, carnivorous animals out here. June. We've waited long enough. The radio is a no-go and won't work. The food is running low, and we still haven't heard from either Dean or John. Me and Nancy have decided to head in the same direction that Dean and John did. If we do nothing, we'll die anyway. We're packing up as much as we can, and we're planning on setting out first thing in the morning. June. We found Dean. Or rather, what's left of him. His face is almost unrecognizable and there's a massive hole in his abdomen. Whatever attacked him took his innards with it because we didn't see a single trace. Nancy practically screamed the forest down when we found him. No sign of John at this time. Poor Nancy. She is cradling his head and rocking back. I think she's going into shock. I need to convince her to carry on moving. We need to find somewhere before it gets dark. June. We almost didn't spot the bunker. It was so well hidden in the trees, it would have been easy to walk straight past it. We tried to push the heavy door open, but it wouldn't budge. The tree roots had jammed it, but we were able to climb through the gap and gain entrance. Judging by the amount of swastikas we found, it was clear this was a German World War II bunker. That would explain the radio in the cottage. We also found specimen jars. Most were empty, but some contained large grasshopper-like insects, and were labeled Manessin. My German's a bit rusty, but I believe the rough translation to this is Man Eat. What the hell did they discover here? We found John, who was alive, but very much in shock. It almost scared me to death when my flashlight ran over his face in the dark. He was just laid on the floor, clutching his belly. He wouldn't even look at us or tell us what happened. We're going to leave again in the morning, but getting John to come with us might be a challenge. John's gone. We heard the animal cry, and he left up and ran for the bunker entrance. When me and Nancy tried to stop him, he pushed her to the floor and punched me in the face. He was out the door before We could even get up off the floor. The last thing we heard was the sound of him screaming and the ferocious call of the wild beast that hunted him. June. We are leaving again. And this time we aren't going to stop until we find some sort of civilization we don't make it back and you find this, then leave. Leave immediately and never return to this place. There's nothing but evil here. The recording came to an end, and the static returned. Ashley looked at Paula, who was looking up at him with the same look of shock and astonishment on her face. Holy shit. Talk about a conspiracy theorist's wet dream. You think it's genuine? He asked. It can't be. No sooner than the word left her mouth. A loud growl emitted from somewhere in the bunker. Paula dropped her phone to the floor where the screen flashed and died. The torchlight died along with it. What the fuck was that? Ashley asked. We should go. Paula said. A loud animal screech echoed through the darkness. Agreed. Follow me. Ashley said. Paula ducked down to get her phone, but Ashley pulled at her sleeve. Leave it, he said. He dragged her back down the dark tunnel-like corridor towards where the entrance was. Ashley stopped dead in his tracks. There was a mass in the corridor between them and the entrance. Slowly, he lifted his phone to illuminate the obstruction. When he saw what it was, his eyes widened and his bladder released. The monstrosity roared and leapt at them. The last thing Ashley heard was the sound of Paula's scream ringing out across the darkness. thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's stories. Um, The intro was a little different than usual, and next week we should be back to normal, unless I have more things to scream about. Um, I recorded two Patreon episodes, uh, part eight of Frankenstein. I I know, I know. I I started it last winter. I remember it was winter because I was like, I'm going to read this, and it's going to be great for winter, and here it is summer of the next year, and I'm still reading it. Um, I'm on part eight, though. We're more than halfway through. We'll get through it, and for those of you who are holding off until I'm totally done with the entire series, you can just kind of listen all the way through. I totally get it. Again, another flowery language. It's, it's a lot of fun, though. It's very emo. Both characters, the monster and Victor, are very, oh, so poetic. Um, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I can see why it's a classic. It's a beautiful book. Um, so yeah, I, I did that. Uh, Frankenstein. I also did a, an ASMR episode, which I haven't done one in quite a while. I wasn't sure if people were really into them. I really like doing them. But I'm, I'm looking this up in real time. I'm trying to find out because I couldn't remember on the actual episode. And I'm going to give you a shout out, Caitlin. Caitlin. Caitlin, you are the one who asked me to do another ASMR episode and I really thank you because sitting there just I, so the whole episode I just kind of ramble but I also read from a list of unusual deaths um, it's just a Wikipedia list that goes all the way back to, I can't remember the first year but it's BC and it's all these unusual deaths and I whisper about it the whole time so if you're not into whispering, not into ASMR, it might not be your cup of tea, but I found a few people really like it, and it was really relaxing for me. So I'm going to do more of those. That was really nice. Thank you, Caitlin, for bringing that back around into my my hemisphere, my atmosphere. I don't know. It's been a long week for everyone. Let me thank my new patrons. I'm a week behind, so there are quite a few of you, which is just means so much to me. Thank you so much to... Corbin Kell, not Corbin Dallas. I'm older than that movie, morons. That was all one name. I love it. Joy Rivera, Amar Bowtie Media, Courtney Petrucci, Petrucci, Katie Kelleher, Kelleher, I think. Elizabeth Schroeder, Jessica Perez, Allison Kari, Terry Hutchins, Holly Kolscher, and Angelica the last one. Here I go, messing up the last one. Neshiwat. 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 So sorry, Angelica. Oh, I am sending you all love and light and hugs over the airwaves. Not just my patrons, but all of you. We can all use some love and light this week. Remember to drink some water, get some rest, unclench that jaw, relax your shoulders. Let's all do that together. Um, you know what, go, you know where all my stuff is. I don't want to do any promotions this week. You know where it all is. And if you don't, then catch me next week. Um, go follow that cool podcast. I put a promo for in the middle. Um, I haven't, I'm not really doing ads right now. Um, I just don't have any, so. (laughs) But I, I like promoting other podcasts, so I threw that in there for you to find some new stuff. If, I'm always looking for new podcasts, so I always like it when my favorite podcasts are like, hey, here's this one. I think my podcasts so far have been a chain reaction of just finding them from each podcast I started listening to and them suggesting other podcasts. So it's always a great way to find new ones. Anyway, let's, let's all go relax. I hope you guys, you all have a great week. Um, as great as you can, I'm with you, and like I said a few weeks ago or months ago, I don't even know what time is anymore, but I'm holding your hand, just remember that, I am holding your hand, I am here, I am with you, and if you need anything, you can always send me a message, honestly, Um, I'm pretty slow at replying to them, because sometimes I honestly just get kind of overwhelmed when people want want to talk to me, and I get really nervous, and I have really bad social anxiety because normally all I do is sit here behind a microphone by myself in my office and I don't talk to anybody um I'm rambling again okay good night everybody go get some sleep and sweet dreams